I am so excited to bring you this episode with Canon Phillips from Humanity Hive. You are going to hear, I don't know, it's like 10 minutes in, that she completely blows my mind with this concept about almost creating a litmus test for distinguishing when you're in grief versus when you might be in a different feeling. She's specifically talking about having ADHD but I have been using it ever since. I have been using this technique to sort of figure out, am I having this feeling versus another feeling? So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. You're going to learn from it. Thanks so much for being here. Remember that if you're enjoying the podcast, we love getting ratings and reviews over on Apple Podcast. Come find us over there. Give us a five-star rating. Write a review. It helps everyone find the podcast. Thanks so much. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, as always, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and I am delighted and acting a little bit like a fool because <laughs> I sweet-talked someone who I've been following for quite some time on the internet to come and share her wisdom on our podcast, Candon Phillips of Humanity Hive. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Well, we were just talking off mic for a quick second about, you know, how we both have the things that we are passionate about and we like to be able to educate the masses. And one thing that I have been really appreciative of is that on your platform, Humanity Hive, you talk a lot about being someone who has ADHD mm-hmm. and treats people who have ADHD and you have been doing some really gorgeous translating, I think, for what that means for people when they are going through other intense emotional experiences. Some of that might be pregnancy, like you are pregnant now, but I've been really appreciative of the spots that you've been doing about grief and loss. Yeah. Um, it's always interesting the feedback I get when I feel like I'm going on a tangent that's not related to my big topic and people are like, give me more of that. I'm like, oh, that was just kind of a little one-off, but okay, we'll do more of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so can you, the question I always ask people on the podcast is just how do you come into the world of grief? And- I think the piece that would be obvious for those that follow me on what I've been talking about is in um, March of 2022. So just a little over a year ago, um, lost my mother to suicide. And so that is what I've been processing a lot online. It's not something I would have ever imagined doing very publicly, but that's been therapeutic for me and it seems to be helpful for others. So I keep doing that when it hits. Um, And I think if, you know, grief can hit in ways, it's not just literally losing someone here on the earth. I would have said if we had had this conversation uh, eight seven or eight years ago, I would have said I was grieving the loss of my mother kind of going motherless of like an estrangement period that we were in. Um, so different ways that I feel like I've kind of moved through that in my life. Yeah. I like the way that you just highlighted that, that it's a trajectory, right? That grief is probably something we're all doing. I often say that, that when you're feeling sort of jealous of somebody else that looks like they're having a celebration mother's day and you're having a grieving mother's day, it's like, Oh, it just sort of depends on what lap of the track you're on. Right. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about your mom and the experience for those folks on my platform that haven't been following you and don't know? Yeah. Um, it's complicated. So I'll, I'll sum it as best I can. She is 
someone that dealt with a lot of mental health issues, ADHD, some personality disorders, things like that. And so that relationship was complicated and uh, things I've shared on my platform are, are in my grief process that I think were surprising for me and even surprising for maybe even some of my family members um, is that I did have a big reaction to her sudden death. And I think that was a surprise because I was the one that stepped away, did the boundaries, did the healthy work. Um, you know, that typical firstborn daughter, we're going to change the, um, ADHD word. I'm losing it. Um, the the dynamic you're going to heal the yeah generational trauma. We're going to do that different. Um, I can't find the word it's all over social media, but so I think there was a little bit of confusion as to why all of a sudden I had feelings about this. And I think it's a reminder that people can be different things for us at different times in life. So there was a stage when I was young where she was very much my savior. I was coming out of another piece of parental dynamics that wasn't healthy. And she was very much my safe place. And then her own mental illness kind of grew and became not a safe place and became a very toxic place. So um, I think how we grieve can even be different pieces of a person. And that's a lot of what I was experiencing and continue to experience. Um, so yeah, it was very much a surprise. Uh, we as a family, and I think I speak for myself, would not have been surprised by her doing this um, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. It was almost kind of expected, but we really thought we were in a, a good spot and that she was shifting and changing and kind of hopeful um, that we were getting to a place that was manageable and a relationship that we could do and that was going to be good for what it could be. And then things went down. And it happened quickly. And um, so I think that was probably part of it too, is we all thought we were kind of over the hump and maybe had figured things out, but yeah. I think you're speaking to something that's so important, especially since you and I both talk about brains, that (laughs) the idea that there is some logical way that you should feel about Mm -hmm. someone's death is such a um, like hopeful, sweet idea that Mm -hmm. is not the way it works. I mean, it's not the way it works because of the way that the limbic system creates, you know, a trauma response in the brain and causes all of your thinking and feeling to get all messed up, but it's also just not the way that it works. Mm -hmm. It's not that, you know, we don't, I wasn't close to my mother. And so therefore I am not impacted by her death. I mean, I wasn't close to princess Diana, but I was deeply impacted by her death. So, right. Right. So, so I think there's some sweetness, like almost wishful thinking that yeah. we could make sense of something that's nonsensical. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, when you think about the systems that we filter the world through, and I love the way, you know, you talk about this, um, on your platform, part of what you're doing is just sort of translating, like, that is not the way that everybody takes in these pieces of information. You talk about emotional intensity. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can just sort of like open that up for folks who maybe they don't have ADHD. Maybe they don't consider the people around them as having ADHD. I say it that way. If you could talk about sort of like emotional intensity, because I think of grief as so emotionally intense. Yes. 
yeah, emotional intensity is a big factor with ADHD and one that, um, without going too much on an ADHD tangent, we are now realizing clinically is going to be put into the new assessments and the new um, diagnostic criteria where it's been lacking for so long, which is why I think so many of us have gone missed because that component has led us down a path of misdiagnosis and thinking it's something else when really it is part of our ADHD. So that's good news. But in a nutshell, we would say that people with ADHD feel our emotions much more intensely than those without and that can that can be more than just the emotions we don't want to feel. So a lot of times when we say that someone has emotional excitability, we always think of anger and jealousy and anxiety and all that stuff. I'm like, no, that's even like I think all the feelings. That means when I'm happy, I can almost like tear up because I'm so overwhelmed with joy. So like not just the icky feelings. Um the ones that we like to call icky, we need them all. We need them them all. And that's a hard piece too. Um, And I think that's probably what bleeds into the grief part a little bit is, so they're all really intense. They're hard for us to regulate. They're hard for us to shift in and out of. Um, We, we can get consumed by them for a certain amount of time and it can almost kind of take over anything else we're, we're existing in. I think that's a lot of why we avoid, we do everything we can to not feel those. And so if we're thinking about grief, those aren't feelings we want to feel like, um, those would be the ones that people wrongfully call bad. Like we're not supposed to feel sad, mad, anger, anxious, jealous, bitter, whatever those feelings are. We don't want to feel them because we know how intense they're going to be. And I think for some of us, it's, I purely don't want the intensity of it. It's a belief that maybe they're going to last forever or slash. And I've got this whole other life. I'm still trying to manage. I, I can't get lost in this feeling. I've got a husband to love and kids to feed and a job to go to. So we're just going to like stuff all that away. Yeah. And so much of that sounds similar, right? Like the, I would say the clients that I treat who have trauma histories or just are going through grief they have the same fears. And I'm what I'm thinking about, and this is one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm a podcast host and I'm a clinician, but I really just want to know your answer to this question because I don't know it. Yeah. You know, a lot of what we do in trauma is we slow things down, mm-hmm. right? And then we go into the body. Like I'm thinking about Mark Brackett's work at the Center for Emotional Studies at Yale, a lot of what he talks about is the difference between emotions, which are those electrical currents that are zooming through your body unconscious, and then how we turn those into feelings, which is more like a cluster of those energetic experiences. But we kind of have to slow ourselves down to to tap them on the heads and name them. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm what I'm wondering about is like, what is that? What does that work look like when you have ADHD, when, when you may be experiencing the intensity of that zooming of emotional currency at an 11, when someone else might feel that at a four, the more I learn about how ADHD presents in grief, the more I'm aware that people who have a history of trauma and people who have ADHD present the same Mm. because trauma is I have a past history of this. I'm blown out of my window of tolerance very quickly. Mm -hmm. And ADHD is my bucket is totally full 
mm-hmm. of this emotional experience, I'm blown out of my window. So I'm just curious, like, how do we treat that? How do, how do we guide people, um, who are grieving and are navigating yeah. ADHD in a, in a place where there's like wisdom and titration instead of expecting them to do something that maybe is not good for them. Yeah. I think my answer to this will definitely be a personal experience one. Cause I'm, you know, I'm still kind of navigating this myself of going what part of what I'm experiencing is just quote unquote, typical grief. And what part of this is like my ADHD really bleeding into. And I think that's a lot of probably where I'm kind of sharing stuff online of just like, I don't know, guys, here, here I am. And here's what's happening. But I think if, if we're kind of zoning in on some of those pieces of, you know, slowing down and paying attention to the body, if I'm reflecting and I I can't remember all of, of my posts, but a lot of what I'm doing is that work. Mm-hmm. If I'm really kind of like stepping back and going, what am I doing in these videos? And what am I communicating? I'm, I'm either, I'm slowing down and maybe instead of like zooming in, I'm kind of zooming out. Yeah. If I'm thinking of some of them. So like oftentimes, and I think it helps being a clinician. I'm aware there's a sensation going on in me. Yeah. I know that as an ADHD or I tend to struggle with naming my feeling in that moment usually later I can come back and go, Oh, that was this, or, Oh, that was that. But in the moment I can't always find the label like you're talking about for the feeling, but I know that there's something stirring. And for me, when the grief wave comes at least kind of nowadays, and I think even in the really heavy parts of it, I could feel the sensational overwhelm. I could feel my sensory overwhelm. I could feel the energy in my body and I had to purposefully check to see if it was grief because I didn't know this may be some other stressor that I don't know about, but I knew enough as a therapist to go, I can't forget that grief is here. So I need to tap in and check in with her like a lot. Yeah. So I'd, I would give chances for it. Um, I would intentionally prep those emotions almost. So like I knew there was a specific, um, Sufjan Stevens had a, an album and I can't remember what it's called. I think it's the name of his parents, but the whole album is basically about the, the death of his mother. I think it was by cancer. And I, that became kind of my grief album. I would just mm. play it and play it and play it. And he would speak to all the, the dark pieces and all the good pieces. And it seemed complicated. Like my mother was too. So it just fit. And if I wasn't sure I'd come back somewhere and like, play one or two of those songs and kind of give my body a minute to react. And if it did, I knew I was tapping into the right thing. Like, God, that is the most genius thing I've ever (laughs) heard. Oh my God. I need a minute. That was, that is so amazing. What you just described, which was you did not hold yourself accountable for being able to intellectually discern something that was too hard to discern. You just know that when you're in grief, you respond to this music. So you use the music almost like the pH test, like yeah. if it's blue, then it's grief. And if not, <laughs> oh my God, I love this so much. What it's making me think of. And again, I just think there's a lot of crossover here. Um, I think there's a lot of crossover because in my work, we think of ADHD as part of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not who we are the same way that like being an alcoholic is not who I am. It's a part of who I am. and 
a lot of what trauma work is, is sort of like taking the traumatized part of you and breaking it into smaller parts. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's the part of me that disassociates. There's a part of me that's distracted. There's the part of me that, you know, wants to, um, be joyful. There's the part of it. So, so a lot of what you're saying makes sense. What I find with my clients who have trauma histories where they have sort of been not cued into their body responses, aren't able to label. I give them a menu card Mm -hmm. and I say, you know, on it is like, I I don't know, there's probably 350 things that other clients have said to me, this helped me in great. And I say, it's kind of like those quizzes, like whatever you see that seems possible, just take that as a suggestion and try it. And then just text me and tell me how it went. It's, It's either for you or it isn't. Right. But I just love this idea that if you know that when you're in your grief, that music speaks to you and you're not sure if this energy that's showing up for you might be grief that because, you know, I, I have a trauma history and I'm really honest with people where I say, like, I spent all day being mad and really mm-hmm. being irritable and, and not until two o'clock did it occur to me that this might be because my dad's birthday is coming up. Right. I just, you know. Yeah. It's, it's hard even when you're steeped in it all day long. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that probably comes, (laughs) I love that that was like, so cool for you to hear. Oh my God. I I love it. I'm just rambling and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to talk about that forever. You have just given me like a very, and I think I'm going to employ it in my own, you know, I say this to folks often, like think about the day that you're doing that you're in traffic and it doesn't matter. And you just to put music on and then then think about the day where you're like practically homicidal on account of the traffic. The thing that is different is you inside your body. Mm -hmm. And what we need to be curious about is like, what got you to the high intensity level? Right. What can we do about that? And you know, we're not usually walking around like, yeah, but what got me to the low intensity level? And I just love the idea that like, you know, if I have some feeling I can check around, I can mm-hmm. put on Sif John Stevens and see, is that what, is that what I need right now? Right. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And it was, it, it was cool. Cause that's kind of been my marker through the past little over a year of checking in on one was like that, the feeling I was feeling, but two, like, where am I in this kind of process? Cause people, you know, how are you doing with, you know, the loss of your mom? I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm okay. Um, you know, it's heavy. Sometimes it's not, I'd kind of give the same response, but it was kind of like, how am I doing? Like, where am I? Um, and so sometimes if I'm even not there yet. Like oftentimes I would play it when I'm by myself or I was in the shower, I'd start that album. And I was like, let me just throw on that album. Let me hop in the shower and see if, if it stirs anything in me that I've somehow packed away because, you know, even part of ADHD and trauma stuff is we just, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. We've gotten back into the routine of things. I'm not, I'm not pausing enough to give that a minute to feel. So let's just see. And it would either stir up something in me or I'd be like, okay, no, like, you know, I hear it, I feel it, but I'm not emotionally pulled to it. So I'm okay. It's almost like offering a snack to a toddler, isn't it? Like if they're hungry, they'll probably eat it. Right. They're not, they won't. And so there's no, there's, you know, it's about wanting to offer nutrition. It's not about trying to tell the system what it needs, or it's an invitation. Do you watch Succession? 
I don't. Okay. Everyone asks me if I do, but go ahead. Well, the only reason I'm asking is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm spoiling this, but everybody knows one of the major characters dies. And in a recent episode, they have they had a quick clip of the daughter and she is discovered in a room and she's crying. And her husband comes in and says, are, are you scheduling your crying? Mm-hmm. You're scheduling this. And she, for a lot of reasons, the show is doing grief really beautifully. Um, but it's interesting because there's also a movie from the 80s that has Holly Hunter in it called Broadcast News. It's just a totally brilliant movie. And one of the things I remember about it is that the actress in the, it, you know, one of the scenes, she's also a woman in a man's world. It's really intense. She unplugs the regular rotary phone from the 80s. And starts crying. And in mm-hmm. the scene, they don't tell you why. She just like cries and then wipes her face and then like, you know, puts her jacket on and goes to work. And there's been this sort of like conversation since this showed up in succession. Like, can you do this? Is this possible? Is is it good for you? And so I'm just curious about that. Like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like <laughs> a lot of people saw that as like, wow, that's crazy. Do people even do that? And then others of us are like, yeah, thanks for yeah, sh- we do. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so tell me what's your, what's your feeling about that? Yeah. So I think that the reason why I've, I've even been able to take this kind of path through my grief is because I've been in trauma therapy for a very long time. And it took a lot of years with my therapist before she realized you haven't cried and we've been working for years. Like you are very intellectual about all of this. And I thought it's because you were just like handling it well, but now I'm realizing anytime a little glimmer of an emotion like that creeps up, you choke it down. And she's like, and now with your trauma history, I know why, like you weren't allowed to have emotions. You couldn't be mad. You couldn't be sad. You couldn't feel these things. It wasn't safe. So like, that's your trauma response. Every time it's like, I'm fine. And I've got it. And she was like, for the love of God, Candon pull over in the Walgreens parking lot and let the tears flow. And I was like, Martha, there's just no way. And she said, okay, well then here's what we're going to do. She's like your homework. And I've said this to so many people and clients, I can't even tell as I need you to ugly cry for five minutes, whatever can start you. She's like, but if you, if you have not hit five minutes, get yourself going again. She's like, but I need you ugly, embarrassing, snotty, completely out of control. Cause that's what you're avoiding. You don't want to look out of control um, because any of that that looks even remotely close to your mother's out of control. You can't, you've been blocking. Yeah. She's like, and I need you to do that. And I hated that assignment so much, but it's been the most freeing thing because I was like that. I hated all of that, but I needed all of that. And now I've learned that an out of control emotional expression like that is okay. It's safe. It's needed. And now that when I've done that, when it broke down all kinds of mental things that I was telling myself that I I can and can't do with because of trauma, but now when this really big thing has happened and it's grief and I know the emotions are going to be big and out of control, I know I can tap into it and I'm not going to be stuck there and there's no shame with it. And like, it's human and we need it. And I think that's probably why I keep visiting it and making sure I give myself a chance to get snotty and messy because our nervous system needs that. It needs that release. 
I love I love that. And I often say to folks when I give them the assignment to go home or go somewhere and cry, I remind them that like your central nervous system will cool you down, like your parasympathetic nervous system will send in all of the neurotransmitters and the hormones to, you know, space you out eventually, but you mm-hmm. not going to leave you totally, you know, out there that you'll stop crying, even though you are afraid that you won't, even though you're afraid it's going to destroy. It's not that that never happens. It's just, it's so rare. Right. And that our, you know, our bodies are kind of these amazing finely tuned systems that are really wired to keep us alive and keep us supported. This is a way of encouraging your system to wire differently. Mm -hmm. I want to ask about this though, because Again, I think part of when I'm thinking about people and their own physical symptoms, their own physical systems, what I know is grievers across all, you know, ages and genders and cultures, they need different things. Mm -hmm. So when you go to do your ugly cry, is that, do you do that alone or do you need people with you to feel safe to cry? Um, if I am intentional, it's always alone. Yeah. And I've got probably two people on the planet that I would, I would pull into that, or I'm grateful if they, if they find me and hold me and comfort me in that, I wouldn't like shut it down. Um, and I think you gotta be careful about that. You know, I see a lot of whole, 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 whole lot of this online where it's like, my therapist told me if I process my emotions by myself, then that is trauma mm. every single time. And I'm like, I mean, or that I grew up where I wasn't allowed to have emotions or I was emotionally neglected or whatever. And I'm always kind of like, that's not across the board. A hundred percent. Right. So like, maybe that was part of it. I can speak to some of that for me, but some of it is also like, I, I, maybe it's my ADHD. I don't know. I'm going to get distracted if I've got other people around me. I need to like hone in and pull in on myself and really like immerse myself. For me, it's always a sensory thing, music or something. And I can't always do that if somebody's looking at me or or with me. So that, you know, I don't know that message always kind of pops up for me. That's so interesting that you said that because I think I haven't seen that online. Um, I mean, probably because I'm only looking at 12 people who I know are saying all the good and right things, (laughs) but, but I, I can appreciate someone trying to say you're re-traumatizing yourself. If you, what you wanted to be, was to be comforted and you are, you are pulling away and isolating and crying Mm -hmm. by yourself. I can see that makes sense to me, but really what I'm so much more curious about is, you know, people's bodies. Like I have discovered as a woman who's nearly 50 that like, I just don't want to eat after five o'clock. Yeah. I don't really care what you say. I want my dinner to be at like 4.45, like an old person. And then my system is just not hungry again, like yeah. at all. I'll drink water, but I'm kind of done eating. And I didn't realize that I was inadvertently fighting against just sort of like that instinct around food until food sort of became a problem. And I was like, right. I'm eating enough and I don't have enough energy. And then I was like, oh, well, how do I eat? And what do I eat? And when do I eat? Mm-hmm. I always ask people these questions about grief because I find that there are people who have different camps. Like there are some people that it is terrifying for them to, to cry alone, that their systems won't let them feel safe. Mm-hmm. 
enough to do it. And actually, I really prefer to cry at least on the phone with someone else. Like I am a crier with my therapist because I'm like, yeah. he asked me something and then I feel the feeling and it's safe enough to just like let it out. But I'm also interested, like when I talk to people, they often will say I have a place. Yeah. That, you know, I hear about the shower, I hear about the car, I hear about the, which I also think is about regulating your system, right? It's like having these boundaries where it's okay to focus in. So whether it's about distractibility or safety, mm-hmm. I think it's about inviting a, a feeling that is historically hard or a little bit scary Yeah, in a way that feels manageable. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, I'm, and now like when you're saying that the places I'm thinking, where all have I ugly cried? <laughs> yeah. Where and have you cried? <laughs> um, it's, it's, I'm sitting in, um, I guess, bedroom. So this like wall behind me, um, Morgan Harper Nichols, she's an artist. Um, I think she's very openly talks about being autistic as well. Her stuff is, is beautiful. She usually has these quotes. And I, I painted this wall as one of my grief things really soon after my mom, it was just one of her pictures. And I was like, I don't ever do anything kind of loose art. Let's throw it up there. I don't care how it looks. I had that album just going and going and going. So I definitely ugly cried in here. Um, but yeah, car shower car a lot, but I think it's music for me, music moving. I'm by myself. Um, that was probably a recent one where I was crying for a different reason. And my husband and I were following each other home and he was getting ready to walk inside and he turned and look, and I'm just like ugly crying in the car. And he thankfully came and like opened the door and hugged me. That's what I would have wanted, but I never would have asked for type thing. So like, he's one of the people, but yeah, I think it matters what we need. And I think on the flip side, we're talking about crying a lot and not always like even the anger piece that was a big piece in my grief. Tell us about that. I am such a, um, fan. Uh, Yeah. Um, anger was definitely not something I was allowed to express growing up. Like no one else was allowed to be mad, but her. So the day I learned within hours of me learning what happened, I had to leave work. I was literally between therapy sessions. And the first thing I said was, um, I need to call our friend who owns the gym. I need to go punch the punching bag mm-hmm. by myself. I need to rage to Eminem or whatever the music was. It's like, I, I need to go beat the hell out of that bag and like, let it out. I said, okay. So we went and he dropped me off and I was there for about 30 minutes by myself. And you know how you see someone screaming on a movie and you don't think it's really real. Like they're like screaming out and you're just kind of like, all right, Hollywood. Like I did that. And it felt like I'd found my voice for the very first time in life. Like I had never just like gut screamed and just fell to the floor, pounding away on something. Like I'd never let go like that before. Um, I think I probably want to do that more regularly in life. Mm, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. And it was, it was a setting where I knew no one could hear me. Like, it's not like my neighbors are going to hear me screaming in my house or doing something crazy. Like I knew I could fully let go in there. And, um, so that was literally probably the first thing I processed was yeah. the anger. And then I remember even when we went down for the, for the funeral, I'm a, an older sibling with a a big age range spread. So like the closest sibling to me, I think is 12 years. Wow. And it goes even further. Um, and there was a moment of, of trying to help someone 
not take on the guilt of my mother's death and not owning it. Yeah. And in that moment, I remember <laughs> turning and I started punching the wall, which I've like never done. It's so not a Candon thing to do. And was just like screaming, like, it's her fault, not yours. And I would just like lost it on that wall. Everyone could hear. And they were like, did you hear Sissy in there? Like <laughs> expressing anger in that way. We didn't know she had it in her. It's like, I didn't either, but she's been like kept safe. I'm not hurting anyone. And, you know, I'm not going to hit a wall again. That didn't feel good. But just the realization of we need to express that too. So we don't do stupid things like hit a wall. Um, We need to process emotions. It needs to come out. Anger needs to come out. And sometimes it needs to be physical in a very safe way. But like, that's just as important as you finding a, a movie or a song and crying. Well, and I love when people talk about anger as a part of the constellation of hard feelings that are associated with grief. Like, you know, there are other things. People feel very sentimental. They feel very um, spiritual. They feel very sexual. Like there's, they're different parts, but anger again is one of those that gets put into the category of like good people shouldn't be feeling those things. Right. But when you think about it, like, of course we should be angry about things that are upsetting our central nervous system. Like that's a, that's a great response to have right towards something that is essentially causing us pain and damaging us. And the amount of energy that goes in really does need to come out. I think mm-hmm. about that a lot. And we talk about it in trauma work is sort of like, well, it's either going in and staying and becoming part of you or it's going to get expressed outward. And then that energy goes back out into the universe. It's like one or the other. And it's almost always bad. If mm-hmm. it stays inside oh, of you. It is. It's going to bleed out in some other way. And people are going to be like, what's wrong with you? And do you have an hour for me to explain that I've packed away anger over grief that I didn't deal with? And I now just yelled at you at the you know parking lot <laughs> for whatever thing. Like, yeah, it's, it's got to come out. And I think you know, and for a while there were, you know, studies where you can't let your kid punch a pillow because then they're going to grow up and punch people. And like, we've now since like debunked all of that, thank goodness. But I think even that kind of mindset of like, we can't do any physical expression of it because then we're going to groom this adult to start hitting people. And like, that's, that's not what's happening in the brain, but no, it's good emotional math, right? I mean, you know, we should be upset about upsetting things. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of what happens is that, you know, it looks out of control to other people who haven't seen you have that experience. But, you know, the, the intensity of feeling that I had when my mom died was literally novel to me. Mm -hmm. I had never felt that way before. No. So it, yeah, it was, you know, hard for other people. It was really hard for me. I mean, part of what was part of what was hard was being around other people when my mom died, because I was so unlike the self I used to understand. Mm-hmm. And anger was a big part of that. Like I had a lot of reactivity, the way that I described it the best that I could to friends was like, it's like, I'm wet yeah. in a highly air conditioned room and you guys are dry and you don't feel the air conditioning. So like right. everything that I do from standing up to sitting down to blinking is uncomfortable or, you know, it's like I'm tired or it's like I have a migraine. That is the background noise of every movement and thing that I'm doing. And I 
was very reactive. I was very reactive in a way that I don't think my body or system had ever been before. I was angry at children. I was angry at my dog. God, I was furious at my dog that that fucking dog needed to be walked. Again, I understand that the world finds it uncomfortable. Yeah. But that does not make it wrong. It's a very, you know, I bet you felt a whole lot better when you punched that bag. Oh, I did. I felt worlds better. Um, And I think I'm still trying to find a way to get back to that bag sometimes knowing that's, that's what I need. And even just as a sensory, just knowing my sensory makeup in general, um, you know, I, I, I can have some avoidance tendencies and some seeking, but I'm usually a seeker. So like punching a bag to high intensity music is always going to make me feel better. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because in my experience people either want to be contained or they want to explode. So mm-hmm. when there's a, when there's a mother load of energy that is sort of like handed like a energetic watermelon, and now you're carrying it. My experience with people is they either want to like push that watermelon onto them or chop it up into small slices so that it's, you know, make it into a margarita or whatever so that they can carry it and it's theirs and they're going to hold on to it, keep it tight which doesn't, which isn't the same as ingesting it. And it, right. right? They're just, this is the way they want to do it. They're going to keep, or they want to explode outward and they want it to be loud and noisy and expressive. And, and I'm just curious if you see the same thing with folks with, who have a history of ADHD. Um, with like grief in particular or just, or, yeah, I mean, expression. Gr- it doesn't have to be, I, any intense emotion I think is probably. What oh I, yeah. You know, cause we're all human underneath the diagnosis. So, and that's a piece that I think it's missed of like, as a human, you're, you're more prone to be a verbal processor and expressor. Um, I need to experience this feeling with other people. I need to bring you in, or you're just so like, I need to deal with this on my own process it before I talk about it, feel it, deal with it before I include other people. And so then you just tack on the ADHD on top of it. And that might play with how that looks a little bit, but you're still who you are and your needs. So. Oh, that's such a good answer. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good to know that that may change. Yeah. Like depending on what it is, it, it may be something that you pull close or something that you need other people for. Yeah. I mean, what it's making me think when you're talking about it is just, you know, how isolative and alone the grief experience can be that that when I talk to people, whether even when it's CEOs talking about companies that had, you know, 1500 people laid off in one day, it's, it's almost like, depending on who you talk to, they all say the same thing, which is like, I feel differently than the rest of everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, Again, that is something that is true where there have been traumas in the system, right? There is no cohesive group. Everyone is experiencing themselves as sort of being an other. Right. I could count on my hands and toes, knowing that I wanted closeness and finding myself completely alone Mm -hmm. in, in my, you know, general overwhelm of feeling. And I always, you know, when I can do the meta on it, I'm like, what about my behavior when I am overwhelmed indicates or drives other people to be away from me. Oh yeah. And I'm curious about that for you. I'm curious about it it, because I think one of the things is particularly with children, people will say those be the ADHD behaviors make it difficult to connect with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think what we're learning more and more about this is like, it can be the ADHD behaviors of typical executive function stuff. And it's, it's usually not because you're forgetful or distracted or any of those things. We can easily forgive those. It's usually the emotion stuff. That's usually what makes it hard. And, you know, I think there, there's a recent study of like the social, social isolation for even like a seven-year-old is incredibly high with ADHD because they've already kind of been ostracized because the emotion regulation is just really difficult for a lot. So even looking as adults, pieces that play into that, we struggle to name our feelings. That's right. We struggle to put words to our experiences, especially if we're in it. And especially if it's overwhelming, we struggle to feel our feelings because they're so overwhelming. We struggle to process information in the moment. It can take time for us to do that. So you may coming to us when you are able to connect and give of yourself. Maybe you're asking questions or offering something and I can't even quite process all that yet. And by the time I can, you're now busy, which is fine. Life has moved on and, and not something with someone that's accessible to me. I'm aware of that. So I just keep it. So it, maybe it doesn't feel as reciprocated um, or as inviting when people are coming, especially if we're thinking about like grief. Yeah. Um, if I can't put words to it, I can't process it. Even being able to respond to a text on a good day can be hard for an ADHD or much less in a, a grief setting. So I'm sure that the behaviors outwardly look like stay away. Yeah. Um, and for many, it may not be what they actually want. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think about that is with grief, particularly like distinct to grief is it's not usually good for us to be on our own for too long because Mm -hmm. the story of how we feel becomes sort of the story that we believe is true, which is people don't want to be around us. Right. And so, and, and unfortunately, because the population isn't that grief informed, it's sort of like, oh, I'm respecting her wishes. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave her alone. And then when she's better, she'll come and find me again. And whereas like, I don't know if you broke up with a boyfriend, your friends would be like, you're coming out with us. You know, there's, right. a, there's a different sort of ethos around what we believe is good for people. But in grief, we do know that, that people are, you know, their worlds have broken apart and they're not sure how they're ever going to live in the world. And the way that you live in the world is to just start living in the world, even awkwardly and impossibly. Right. But if people leave you alone for too long. That story of there will never be a world that I can live in that makes sense again, can very quickly become something that really feels true. Oh yeah. And it's, you know, I think people, when it comes to like the you just broke, you just got broken up with by your boyfriend. Everyone can connect to that on some level. Like I know what a breakup feels like, okay, come on, let me like connect with you. But grief, I may not know how to connect with you in grief and your grief may be different from my grief. You know, grief is such a unique experience sometimes. Um, or if the situation is scary, like suicide or, or something really bad, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't know what to say. So yeah, of course, I'm just going to leave the casserole instead of like have a conversation or, um, yeah, yeah. It's awkward. I don't, it's uncomfortable and every human on the planet seems to avoid uncomfortable. So, (laughs) um, yeah, we do. And I wonder about the people who innately don't 
avoid uncomfortable. I think there's a, I think there's a story that we tell ourselves like, oh, that person knows because they went through something terrible. That hasn't been my personal experience. I think there are just some people, you know, like mm-hmm. people who are good with dogs, like they just sort of mm-hmm. innately know how to be around an animal. And then there are other people who maybe that doesn't work for, um, but, but I, but I am really interested in sort of, you know, the attunement that some people can have mm-hmm. around, what you need and what I need and how to give it to you. Um, because I think some of the ways that I have felt the most um, warmly reconnected to the human experience is when someone has just shown up with something that I wouldn't have even known to ask for. Mm-hmm. You know, they've just, this is what they thought would be helpful. And then, and it, and it's not a standard, you know, it's not a casserole. It's right. It's whatever they decided to do. And I think part of that, I mean, grief is so exhausting. So even like, just tell me what you need. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what I need, <laughs> but someone just even taking the initiative to show up and go, let's try this here. I'm here. Let's do this thing. Yeah. I love that. Cause it's like an experiment where you're co-creating outcomes, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a little bit like turning on the music and seeing if it's grief, you know? Right. Like, I don't, I actually don't know what to do because you and I have never been in this space before, but, and you don't, you, how could you know what you need? You've never lived through the loss of your mother before. So it's right. all just going to be guesswork. I agree. In my world, I hear a lot of sort of the same things about what people get wrong about trauma histories or about what is and isn't needed or wanted in grief. And one of the things I try to do is sort of make sure I say those out loud in the world. Are there things when you're working with your clients or from your own perspective around ADHD that feels like, God, it would just be easier if everybody understood this part or knew to show up in this way? Oh man, that could be a whole podcast. Right? How to make it easy. <laughs> oh gosh. Um it would be easier if everyone just I think the biggest barrier, if I had listeners, they're probably going, say this. Uh right. I think the biggest battle is oftentimes even just get someone to con consider or not even consider except the fact that it's real um that it's not just people being lazy or looking for an excuse or trying to get attention like what a horrible way to try to get attention (laughs) by telling you that i I can't do something right and so you know now we've finally got some science to kind of back it up like we've got 27 genetic markers that show that this is a genetic thing we've got mri scans that are showing like this is the brain and it's different Um, It's like, if I could, yeah, if I could make it rain and that knowledge seeped into everyone's brains and everyone accepted it and moved on from there, I think that would be the leaping point. And then everything else is easier. I I don't know what I expected you to say, but I really appreciate that answer because what it reminds me of on the other side is that we really want to be in control of everything. Particularly in Western culture, that's how we win in the United States. It must be your fault. Uh huh. It must be your fault. And if you are not doing something, even though you've agreed you should do it and it would be a good idea to do it, and it is universally understood that good people do these things, if you're not doing it, it must be because you're bad. Yeah. Or this like intended helpful statement of no better, do better. 
I mean, like, mm, yes, we want to increase knowledge. We like need to spread awareness of things, but knowing better doesn't automatically mean you do better. That would like fix all of the world's problems. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, therapists would be considered gurus then because all we would have to do is give you the insight. We could just tell you, this is what you're doing. Now, you know, now, you know, see ya. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think partly that's why conversations like this are really important because what you have said is I am my own human experience and experiment and I am my own human experience and experiment as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a form of unconditional love to be able to focus on being with people and trusting them to tell us about themselves over and over again, afresh and anew every day. Yeah. Like the more insight that you do have into yourself, I want to hear more about that. And also maybe I think that's 68% true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't always know all the things, but it's the communication of what it is that I believe would be helpful to me and our agreement that we're going to try to do that together Yeah, and then maybe fail at it together. Right. Yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. I love that, that the biggest barrier is accepting that it's real. I could talk to you about this all day long. I feel (laughs) deeply committed. I want to encourage people to go. And when I say people, I mean, everyone, you know, I think you are describing humanity in a really plain way. Hmm. And in a way that makes me deeply curious and feel really connected. And with an, um, I just love, I just love your platform and I'm so grateful for it. Can you you. tell folks how to find you um, if they want to know more about what you're doing and what you're talking about? What's the best way? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. It's at humanity underscore hive, like a beehive. And um, that's where I live. I'm told I'm supposed to be on different platforms. I'm only on one (laughs) (laughs) because I can only manage. It's working for you. It's working for you. We'll Um, link it in that. We'll link it in the show notes so people can easily can easily find you. And, um, other than, you know, creating a human, are there projects or things that are up on the horizon that people should know about? Are you doing conferences or talks or, you know, Uh, no conferences or talks, but I'm open to, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, Hey, (laughs) she's a great speaker. yeah. So coaching stuff that I, that I'm doing individual, I've been working on opening up some group coaching that continues to get derailed as I get more and more pregnant and try to figure that out. So, um, But yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I got. Just kind of cruising. Before you go today, will you tell me your mom's name? Yeah, Ramona. Ramona. That's that's beautiful. Um, (laughs) I like to light a candle and just sort of like sense energy. Thank you. For you and for her. Thank you so much for sharing about her today and your process and your experience and your wisdom about ADHD. We may circle back and have a second because I really do think this field of trauma and the concepts around grief and loss and the intersect with ADHD, I am a learner in this space and my mind is just like a buzz with all yes. the Yes, I would love to come back. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here today. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you for doing this. Thank yeah. you so much. I really Absolutely. am so grateful. And good, um, good luck with everything. Good luck Thanks with so much. Human. That's <laughs> amazing. All right, Cannon, take Thanks. care. Bye. Bye.